This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to the Worth Recovery Podcast. I'm Amy. I'm your host, and I'm excited to be back with you for another episode in 2017. I'm a sex addict. I'm a food addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. I'm thrilled to continue our discussion today with you about being all in when it comes to your recovery. All in. Not partially in, not 25 or 30% all in, not even 90% in, but all all in. Recovery is one of those amazing things that changes lives. All along the way, there are many pitfalls, pit stops where you can get stuck, where you can take off ramps or detours, or just stop to catch your breath and realize days, weeks, or sometimes months or years later that what you intended to be just a quick rest ended up being a massive detour and that there is more work to do on your recovery journey. Today, I want to acknowledge, first of all, that I truly believe that everyone desires to be all in when it comes to recovery. Just like I never grew up saying, I want to grow up and be a sex addict. Yeah, that never happened. I don't believe anyone starts recovery in their very deepest soul saying, and I'm only going to half-ass this whole recovery thing. I'm not going to really do it, just partially do it. Now that might be your actual results, but I don't think we ever really start out with those intentions, nor do I think in our souls we know that that's the right thing. Maybe it's just the idealist in me that believes everyone is doing the absolute best that they can, but that is how I feel. And I believe that when people start recovery, they truly want to do it all the way. They want their lives to change. They want to be all in. Now, some people for sure start with trepidation. What drove them to begin recovery wasn't easy. That whole discovery process of I have a problem, that disillusionment process that drives us into recovery is never easy. It's usually painful, very, very painful. And it's usually full of emotion and lies and threats and just generally horrible things. That is usually what drives us to even begin this process. We call it recovery because we are recovering from something in our lives. Whether that is our own addiction, our addictive behaviors, whether that's the addictive behaviors of a loved one, whether that is something traumatic that has happened to us or to someone we know, or something that we did to someone else. Maybe we witnessed something traumatic and that has caused problems for us. Maybe you're like me and you started this process thinking that your life was totally perfect and that you were the broken one, the crazy one that couldn't seem to handle life at all, at all. (laughs) Maybe it was your own self-hatred or your own shame that drove you to seek help. Whatever it is, that process of discovering and that disillusionment is difficult. We call it recovery because we actually have something to recover from. Just that process is hard. 
the process of discovering that we have to recover from something. I recently listened to an interview um, of Christine Kane. She's the executive director of the A21 campaign. The purpose and mission of the A21 campaign is to abolish human trafficking. She also has written a book called Unashamed, Drop Your Baggage and Pick Up Your Freedom. I just ordered the book. I'm really excited to read to read it. But anyway, I listened to an interview that she did where she was talking about recovery. Now, she used the word recovery. Now, of course, she was talking about recovery from knee surgery. <laughs> However, I think the lesson applies to all of us. She said her surgeon told her that anyone can fully recover from the type of knee surgery she had anyone, that it actually wasn't even really that difficult. But he continued that most don't. Most don't regain their full range of motion or the full strength of their knee and as a result, the full strength of their leg. She was floored. Why not? If it wasn't hard, why didn't they just do it? Why didn't they continue in recovery and heal? His answer? Because it is too painful. Recovery is painful. And you have to lean into the pain of recovery if you want to fully heal and regain your strength. As I was listening, I was reflecting on my own recovery from surgery. About three years ago, I had to have my hip replaced because of a genetic defect that I had. And so I I had to have the hip, my whole entire hip replaced. And I remember my surgeon giving me a similar talk that I could fully heal from this, but that I would have to endure, lean into the pain of something. That completely sounds like recovery to me. Recovery is painful. And if we want to recover completely, we have to lean into that pain. That is part of being all in when it comes to recovery. I don't think anything goes... I don't think anyone goes into surgery thinking, I'll only regain part of my movement or my strength or my abilities. I believe that they want to regain all of it. That's why they go through surgery. And I know when I had my hip surgery, I felt that way. I wanted to regain all of it, all of my movement, all of my strength. However, like I said earlier, there are pitfalls, pit stops, and off ramps along the way that cause us some problems. Some of these typical ones, I call them the big three, are denial, fear, and pain. Denial, fear, and pain. I think they cause us the most problems as we go through this recovery process. I know when I started recovery, there was some denial. Okay, there there was a lot of denial. I don't want to be in denial about my denial level, but there was a lot of denial. There was a lot of it that I didn't even know yet, that I didn't even recognize or see, but there was serious denial there. There was a lot of fear as well. I wanted to be all in, but I was scared. What if this wasn't going to work for me? What if I was beyond help? Nothing I had ever tried so far in my life had worked. Why would this be any different? I was scared that going all in would just leave me a failure again. And of course there was pain. The pain of discovery, the pain of accountability, the pain of ownership, the pain of grief, of abandonment. All of these painful things I had to deal with. The big three... The three things that prevent us from being all in are denial, fear, and pain. They are some of the biggest pitfalls that we experience in recovery. Like pit stops on the road of recovery, sometimes we get stuck there and we don't even know it. 
they are distractors that prevent us from being all in. And that's what I want to discuss today. I want to discuss three distracting behaviors that are driven by these pain and this fear and this denial. These are what I call all-in distractors. All-in distractors, they're things that you do in your recovery journey and process that distract you, prevent you from being all-in. Now, I'm using the word distraction because these are sneaky behaviors. Your addiction, your dysfunction is sneaky. You might not even realize that you're doing these things. You might not even know. You might not even see it. But in the end result, these behaviors basically say, eh, I'm not all in. I'm not doing all of the hard work required to heal completely. Like I said, they're sneaky and can be tricky. They can trick us into thinking that we are all in and the result is just frustration and lack of progress. Now, of course, these three distractors are my own big distraction behaviors. These are the three that I've learned from my experience and from the experiences of women I work with and I witness for in recovery. Of course, these also apply to men. <laughs> I've definitely seen men with these distractor behaviors, even in my own family, I would say. So let's, let's dissect them and kind of jump in here. Distractor number one, I call it spreading out the truth. We hear in recovery the term rigorously honest. We need to start being honest, rigorously honest. We need to live in rigorous honesty. And we want to be more honest with those around us and with ourselves. And we want to do that. Lying is a big part of addiction and we know we want to be done with that behavior. So we start talking. We tell a friend part of our story. We tell our 12-step fellowship part of our story. We tell our spouse or our partner maybe a different part of the story. We tell our therapist a whole different part of the story and maybe our sponsor gets an even different part of the story. And in the end, our entire story, our entire life has been told and we start to feel like we're being honest. We even get that little bit of relief that says, I'm, I'm being honest with people. I remember when this happened to me. Some of the women I work with say that I can see right through this pretty quickly. Well, that is because this was me. At the beginning of recovery, I told different pieces of my story to different people. I didn't feel like I was lying. I didn't feel like I was trying to manage anything. Sometimes I've heard this behavior called like image management. We're trying to manage what people know about us. But I didn't, I didn't feel that way at first. I was telling people parts of my story and it felt awesome, ladies. It felt awesome. I felt like I was being honest, more honest than I ever had been in my life. And really, I was. That was a step forward for me. However, <laughs> I'll never forget the look on my therapist's face when about eight to 10 months into recovery, I told him kind of very casually about a certain relationship I had had. It was this like stunned look of disbelief. I think his words were something like, why, why have you been withholding this from me, Amy? I, I sat there. I wasn't, I wasn't withholding. I didn't feel like I was withholding. And I, I definitely wasn't doing it on purpose. That was when I learned about how deep my denial can go sometimes. We then had to have a discussion about what rigorous honesty really looks like and the importance of having someone that knows your whole complete story. That was a new thing for me. 
And I learned in that process that there were a lot of drivers to this behavior. Not only just denial, for sure, but fear. Fear is a major driver in this distracting behavior. It is hard to be honest. We might be dealing with strong abandonment trauma, and the idea of telling one person our story is beyond what we can handle. We're scared that they will abandon us, and so we don't trust our story to one person. Pain is also a huge driver in this distractor. Maybe we've experienced some real rejection in the past that was just too painful for us to handle. Having one person who knows our whole story is too risky. The pain of rejection will be too much, so we just don't do it. Whatever the exact driver of this behavior, whether denial, fear, pain, or a combination, the end result is clear. We aren't all in when it comes to recovery because we're not all in with one person. We haven't shared our whole entire complete story with someone. Now, of course, that needs to be the right one. I'm not advocating you just pick a random stranger or some best friend in your life and tell them everything. You need to have the right person. But there needs to be one person, at least one person in your life that knows the entire story. This behavior is sneaky because everyone knows only part of the story. What happens is they can't really reflect back to us what is happening. And it usually takes a major relational problem for us to see this or a very, very honest self-appraisal. Sometimes just hearing it explained, you'll get that kind of gut feeling in your stomach that says, "Ugh, I think that is me. If this is something you think you struggle with or you're wondering if you struggle with, usually a very honest conversation with someone you trust can help. Explain this to them and ask if they see this behavior in you, if they see that you're spreading out the truth, if they feel like there are gaps in your story, if they feel like maybe there's more to the story that you're not telling them. Now, of course, you must be open to the feedback because if you start asking, you'll receive the answers you need. And so you need to be open to that feedback. This behavior, spreading out the truth, is distractor number one. It was one of the first things that I encountered when I started recovery and wanted to be all in. Okay, let's look at distractor number two. I call this green grass syndrome. That's what I call it. You can call it whatever you want, but that's what I call it. This is the person who is always chasing the next big thing. They're always looking for the next big thing, where the grass is greener than where they are now. So I, I want to look at some statistics real quick to help you kind of see how this happens. Do you know how many 12-step fellowships there are in the world? Me either. I don't know exactly. Wikipedia says that there are an estimated 300, 300 different fellowships in the world that use the 12 steps of recovery as their primary text. Now, I don't completely trust Wikipedia. I don't think it's most reliable of sources. That's probably the academic in me. So we'll also use my own research. Let's just look at sex addiction because that's what I'm most familiar with. If you wanted to attend a 12-step fellowship for sex addiction, you could go to SA, SAA, SRA, SLAA, RCA, HA, WLRSA, LAA, SCA, or if you're on the other side, you could go to Essanon, COSA, C-O-S-L-A-A. That's just the ones that I know, right? So, and that's only 12-step fellowships. That's a lot of options. 
And then you go through this process of what types of treatment do I need? Do I need inpatient treatment? Do I need outpatient treatment? Do I go to the ranch, the Prescott House, the Refuge, Pine Grove, Blue Tree... Blue Tiger Recovery, the Center for Healthy Sex, Capstone, Begin Again, the Hudson Center, Gentle Path. Where do I go? What do I need? What exactly is going on? Then, how do you pick a therapist? What qualifications do they need? What is important? CSAT, EMDR, EFT, LCSW, LMHT, EFT, MSAT. What What do you know? How do I know? Do I need medication? What books should I be reading? And then there's this whole argument out there, is sex even an addiction? Did you know that there's an argument out there about that? There is. Is sex even an addiction? You could spend years, literally years, just researching and reading and chasing the next big idea or the next big thing or the next big program that is going to keep you sober and in recovery. You could jump from fellowship to fellowship to fellowship. You can jump from therapist to therapist to therapist, from program to program to program. You could spend years, years just doing that. When we do this, when we search for the next big thing or the right thing or the perfect thing, we are stuck in a pitfall behavior. It's either denial, pain, or fear that are driving the show. This is not a recovery mindset, but an addiction mindset. For me, this was most closely associated with fear. When we get into this mindset, we're afraid. We are afraid of so many things. For me, it was the fear of missing out or the fear of doing it wrong. I was afraid that if I stuck with one thing and it's not successful, then it would prove that I was really broken beyond repair, that I was a horrible person. I was afraid that if I didn't do recovery the perfect way, it wouldn't stick. I was also afraid of the work. I was afraid I would have to do things I didn't want to do. I was afraid I would have to say goodbye to people I didn't want to. There is a lot of fear at the beginning of recovery or even in the middle of recovery. And that fear can drive us sometimes to search for the perfect or the right thing rather than commit to what's in front of us and start something. This is tricky for people. They can say that they are doing recovery. They might actually be doing a lot of different types of recovery, a lot of different types of meetings with a lot of different people, but they aren't really making progress anywhere. I've seen this. I've seen this so many times and I've experienced it in different areas of my life. This has been my biggest problem in food recovery. I'm constantly looking for the next big thing, the next diet, the next biggest, better thing to make this whole process easier or just to make me feel smarter. Like, how do I know I'm doing it the right way? Chasing the next big thing distracts us from being all in when it comes to recovery. If this is you, maybe you're having that gut feeling again that's telling you, yeah, that's you. You're chasing. Maybe you just know. If you're not sure, simply ask yourself how far you have progressed in recovery. Are you where you want to be? This behavior results in a number of false starts, but no real traction. And so we think, we trick ourselves into thinking that we're doing a lot of recovery work when we're really just doing false starts over and over again. So distractor number two, chasing the next big thing, green grass syndrome. The last distractor of today that I want to talk about is what is called the implementation dip. 
a fancy word, but this is a thing, a real thing. It's researched and it's proven. It's called the implementation dip. I used to teach about it all of the time, especially when I was working in education. Anytime we start something new, a new habit, a new process, a new procedure, there is a drop in our performance and they call it the implementation dip. You can Google it, read all about it if you want. And it's really hard and it's very discouraging, especially discouraging because you're doing so much work. You're trying really hard to do new things. You're working on changing your behavior, on reacting differently, holding your tongue, not acting out. And you're sitting in really painful emotions without looking for a way to escape. This is really hard, ladies. It's really, really painful. I felt like every time a new emotion came up and I recognized it like grief, when I was in my like initial recovery process, I wasn't responding to just the grief of the moment. I was responding to all of the grief for the last 35 years that I had never, ever allowed myself to feel. Everything was big at the beginning. Everything was hard. Everything was painful. I honestly think I cried every day for at least the first year of my recovery. Every single day. It was painful. It was so painful. And many times, many, many, many times I thought, I can't do this. I can't endure this pain. These new behaviors, they aren't working for me. This is just too much. It's not going to work. However, I kept at it. My therapist would give me a little bit of hope on some days by pointing out something that I had done differently. My sponsor would give me a little bit of hope by saying she was impressed with how I handled something. I'd have a day where I laughed and smiled and the pain wasn't so overwhelming. I stuck with it. I kept going. I broke through the implementation dip. And now I feel pain. I feel grief. I feel happiness, excitement, sadness, anger, fear, frustration. I feel all of it. They come and they go. They sit. Sometimes they camp out a little bit. And it's awesome. I might cry one day, but it's not the overwhelming cry of 35 years of unexpressed emotion. It's just the current stuff, the current emotion. I don't overreact to things because I'm not responding to 40 years of misbehavior. I'm only responding to what is going on right now. And it is awesome. I broke through the implementation dip and I learned and incorporated the new behaviors that allowed me to do this. But not all of us do that. We start something, we make a commitment, but the moment it feels too hard or too overwhelming, we wimp out. Or maybe you've held on for a few months of hard things or discouraging things of painful emotions and of fear. And you woke up a few months later and said, wow, I'm not getting better. And rather than sticking with it and breaking through the implementation dip, you gave up. And probably you maybe did that too soon. I'm all for evaluating what is or isn't working for us, but you can't do that until you've given it some serious time, until you've broken through the implementation dip and really, really see results. How long does that take, you might be asking or thinking to yourself? It's different for everyone, and that kind of feels like a stupid answer, but it's true. On some things, I broke through right away and saw results. On others, it took months, and on others, I would say it took years. 
but I stuck with it. I kept going. I found people and accountability partners to reflect back to me my own progress when I got stuck or I felt like it wasn't working. I broke through the denial, the pain, and the fear of the implementation dip, and I stayed all in with recovery. Okay, let's recap. We know we need to be all in when it comes to our recovery, and we know that that is not always an easy thing to do. Three of the major pitfalls we encounter on this road is denial, fear, and pain. Three of the biggest distractor behaviors that keep us stuck in those pitfalls are number one, spreading out the truth, number two, searching for greener grass, and number three, the implementation dip. These behaviors sneak into our lives, and what we thought was maybe a breather turned into a massive pit stop. Or maybe we got distracted and we encountered a massive pitfall. Either way, it is always essential that we evaluate where we are when it comes to our recovery. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your homework for today. First, before we discuss it, great job to all of you that checked in with me. You are awesome. I love it when you commented, I'm all in. I loved hearing it. If you haven't done it yet, do it. Facebook, comment on the website, Twitter, whatever it is. Let me know that you're all in when it comes to recovery. And thanks for sharing this episode with someone. We continue to grow in numbers and it's awesome. Today's homework though. It's also a two-step process, okay? Today's homework. Number one is your self-evaluation. This is your chance to evaluate your distractor behaviors. These are behaviors that distract and prevent you from being all in. Your job is to list your top three. I gave you my top three today. These are behaviors I've really had to work on and be careful about in my own recovery. You need to find your top three behaviors. Make a list of them. I challenge you to think beyond just an emotion. Maybe you'll sit down and you'll list fear, anger, sadness. Well, those are, those are true. Those are things that are going to cause problems for you, but those are emotions. They aren't actions. They are emotions. What we want to look at is what are the distracting behaviors? Maybe those three emotions are driving something, driving some behaviors. We're looking for what you're actually doing. These behaviors that prevent you from being all in. Maybe it's Netflix. Uh, That's a big distractor for people. Maybe it's eating. I did both of those for a while. Maybe it's work. Maybe you work instead of do recovery. I don't know. You've got to figure out what your top three are. What are your top three distractor behaviors that prevent you from being all in? Now, that's number one. Once you have that list of those three things, of course, for number two, I want you to share it with someone. I would love if that someone was me, but it doesn't matter. Share it with someone. Share it. Accepting, acknowledging, and sharing are the first steps to changing. You can email me, you can comment on the episode, you can comment on Facebook or Twitter. Find me and share with me or find someone and share with someone. I can be found at amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com. That's my email. Or just search for Worth Recovery on Facebook or Twitter and it'll pop right up. Or of course you can go to the website, www.worthrecovery.com. So that's your homework. Two parts. Number one, self-assessment. Find your top three distractor behaviors, the behaviors that prevent you from being all in. And number two, share that list with someone. 
The intent here is accepting, acknowledging, and hopefully finding some accountability on that. That is what I have for you today. Now, before you leave, don't forget that we have a Worth Recovery event coming up in just one week. January 21st, Salt Lake City, Utah will be engaged in the struggle. If you're not registered, get registered already. If you're going to be there, we need you to get registered. You can do that on the website, www.worthrecovery.com. Go to the events area at the top and make it happen. The early bird pricing window has passed, but we are offering early bird pricing to podcast listeners if you use the promo code PODCASTSLC. So that is P-O-D-C-A-S-T, podcast, and then the letters S-L-C for Salt Lake City. That will give you the early bird pricing of $99. You will want to be at this event. You'll hear from three amazing CSAT therapists. It's like four hours of therapy for $99. Nowhere are you going to get that deal. Plus, you'll be able to connect with other women in the area and build your support network. You can register online at the website www.worthrecovery.com. Use the promo code PODCASTSLC to get the early bird pricing. Also, a big shout out to our Worth Warriors. You ladies continue to change the world of recovery for women as we continue to grow around the world. Thank you for your dedication and your assistance. You are awesome. Don't forget about your homework, of course, right? Self-evaluation and share. And as always, Please remember that you are worth recovery. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter if you got distracted for a while in your recovery, no matter what others around you are saying or doing, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I believe in you. I know you can do it. So keep up the fight. I think about you. I pray for you. I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.